section three of essays in idleness by agnes replier the sleepervox recording is in the public domain the praises of war when the world was younger and perhaps merrier when people lived more and thought less and when the curious subtleties of an advanced civilization had not yet turned men's heads with conceit of their own enlightening progress from simple to serious things poets had two recognized sources of inspiration which were sufficient for themselves and for their unexacting audiences they sang of love and they sang of war of fair women and brave men of keen youthful passions and of the dear delights of battle sweet rosamond lingers in woodstock bower and sir colleen wrestles with the eldridge knight annie of lochroyan sails over the roughening seas and lord percy rides gaily to the cheviot hills with fifteen hundred bowmen at his back it did not occur to the thick-headed generation who first listened to the ballad of chevy chase to hint that the game was hardly worth the candle or that poaching on a large scale was as reprehensible ethically as poaching on a little one this sort of insight was left for the nineteenth-century philosopher and the nineteenth-century moralist in earlier easier days the last thing that a poet troubled himself about was a defensible motive for the battle in which his soul exulted his business was to describe the fighting not to justify the fight which would have been a task of pure supererogation in that truculent age fancy trying to justify kinmont willie or johnny of bradesley instead of counting the hard knocks they give and the stout men they lay low johnny set his back against an ache his foot against a stain and he has slain the seven foresters he has slain them ah but ain the last echo of this purely irresponsible spirit may be found in the war songs of dennis var where peacock always three hundred years behind his time sings of slaughter with a bellicose cheerfulness which only his admirable versification can excuse the mountain sheep are sweeter but the valley sheep are fatter we therefore deemed it meeter to carry off the latter we made an expedition we met a host and quelled it we forced a strong position and killed the men who held it there is not even a lack of food at home the old traditional dinner of spurs to warrant this foray there is no hint of necessity for the harriers or consideration for the harried we brought away from battle and much their land bemoaned them two thousand head of cattle and the head of him who owned them ednefed king of defed his head was born before us his wine and beasts supplied our feasts and his overthrow our chorus it is impossible to censure a deed so irresistibly narrated but if the lines were a hairbreadth less mellifluous i think we should call this a very barbarous method of campaigning when the old warlike spirit was dying out of english verse when poets had begun to meditate and moralize to interpret nature and to counsel man the good gods gave to england as a link with the days that were dead sir walter scott who sang as no britain before or since has ever sung of battlefields and the hoarse clashing of arms of brave deeds and midnight perils of the outlaw riding by brignall banks and the trooper shaking his silver bridle reins upon the river shore adieu for evermore my love and adieu for evermore 
these are not precisely the themes which enjoy unshaken popularity today the poet of battles fares ill in modern england says sir francis doyle and as a consequence there are many people who speak slightingly of scott's poetry and who appear to claim for themselves some inscrutable superiority by doing so they give you to understand without putting it too coarsely into words that they are beyond that sort of thing but that they liked it very well as children and are pleased if you enjoy it still there is even a class of unfortunates who through no apparent fault of their own have ceased to take delight in scott's novels and who manifest a curious indignation because the characters in them go ahead and do things instead of thinking and talking about them which is the present approved fashion of evolving fiction why what time have the good people in quentin durward for speculation and chatter the rush of events carries them irresistibly into action they plot they fight and run away and scour the country and meet with so many adventures and perform so many brave and cruel deeds that they have no chance for introspection and the joys of analysis naturally those writers who pride themselves upon making a story out of nothing and who are more concerned with excluding material than with telling their tales have scant liking for sir walter who thought little and prated not at all about the art of fiction but used the subjects which came to hand with the instinctive and unhesitating skill of a great artist the battles in quentin durward and old mortality are i think as fine in their way as the battle of flodden and flodden says mr lang is the finest fight on record better even than the stand of aeus by the ships in the iliad better than the slaying of the wars in the odyssey the ability to carry us whither he would to show us whatever he pleased and to stir our heart's blood with the story of old unhappy far-off things and battles long ago was the especial gift of scott of the man whose sympathies were as deep as life itself whose outlook was as wide as the broad bosom of the earth he trod on he believed in action and he delighted in describing it the thinker's voluntary death in life was not for him the power that moves the world but rather deeds deeds that make history and that sing themselves forever he honestly felt himself to be a much smaller man than wellington he stood abashed in the presence of the soldier who had led large issues and controlled the fate of nations he would have been sincerely amused to learn from robert ellesmere what a delicious thing it is to contemplate sir walter reading robert ellesmere that the decisive events of the world take place in the intellect the decisive events of the world scott held to take place in the field of action on the plains of marathon and waterloo rather than in the brain tissues of william godwin he knew what befell athens when she could put forward no surer defence against philip of macedon than the most brilliant orations ever written in praise of freedom it was better he probably thought to argue as the english did in platoons the schoolboy who fought with the heroic greenbreeks in the streets of edinburgh the student who led the tory youths in their gallant struggle with the riotous irishmen and drove them with stout cudgelling out of the theatre they had disgraced the man who broken in health and spirit was yet blithe and ready to back his quarrel with gourgaud by giving that gentleman any satisfaction he desired 
was consistent throughout with the simple principles of a bygone generation it is clear to me he writes in his journal that what is least forgiven in a man of any mark or likelihood is want of that article blackguardly called pluck all the fine qualities of genius cannot make amends for it we are told the genius of poets especially is irreconcilable with this species of grenadier accomplishment if so quelle chaîne de genie quelle chaîne de genie indeed and far beyond the compass of scott who amid the growing sordidness and seriousness of an industrial and discontented age struck a single resonant note that rings in our hearts to-day like the echo of good and joyous things sound sound the clarion fill the fife to all the sensual world proclaim one crowded hour of glorious life is worth an age without a name the same sentiments are put it may be remembered into admirable prose when graham of claverhouse expounds to henry morton his views on living and dying at present philosophy and philanthropy between them are hustling poor glory into a small corner of the field even to the soldier we are told it should be a secondary consideration or perhaps no consideration at all his sense of duty being a sufficient stay but scott like homer held somewhat different views and absolutely declined to let that jade duty have everything her own way it is the plain duty of blount and eustace to stay by clare's side and guard her as they were bidden instead of which they rush off with sir walter's tacit approbation to the fray no longer blount the view could bear by heaven and all its saints i swear i will not see it lost fitz eustace you with lady clare may bid your beads and patter prayer i gallop to the host it was this cheerful acknowledgment of human nature as a large factor in life which gave to scott his genial sympathy with brave imperfect men which enabled him to draw with true and kindly art such soldiers as le balafre and dugald dalgetty and william of de lorraine le balafre indeed with his thick-headed loyalty his conceit of his own wisdom his unswerving almost unconscious courage his readiness to risk his neck for a bride and his reluctance to marry her is every whit as voracious as if he were the over-analyzed child of realism instead of one of the many minor characters thrust with wanton prodigality into the pages of a romantic novel alone among modern poets scott sings homerically of strife others have caught the note but none have upheld it with such sustained force such clear and joyous resonance macaulay has fire and spirit but he is always too rhetorical too declamatory for real emotion he stirs brave hearts it is true and the finest tribute to his eloquence was paid by mrs browning who said she could not read the lays lying down they drew her irresistibly to her feet but when macaulay sings of lake regulus i do not see the battle swim before my eyes i see whether i want to or not a platform and the poet's own beloved schoolboy declaiming with appropriate gestures those glowing and vigorous lines when scott sings of flodden i stand wraith-like in the thickest of the fray 
i know how the scottish ranks waver and reel before the charge of stanley's men how tunstall's stainless banner sweeps the field and how in the gathering gloom the stubborn spearmen still made good their dark impenetrable wood each stepping where his comrade stood the instant that he fell there is none of this noble simplicity in the somewhat dramatic ardor of horatius or in the pharisaical flavor inevitable perhaps but not the less depressing of naseby and ivory which read a little like old kaiser william's war dispatches turned into verse better a thousand times are the splendid swing the captivating enthusiasm of drayton's agincourt which hardly a muckworm could hear unstirred reading it we are as keen for battle as were king harry's soldiers straining at the leash the ardor for strife the staying power of quiet courage all are here and here too a felicity of language that makes each noble name a trumpet blast of defiance a fresh incentive to heroic deeds with spanish yew so strong arrows a cloth yard long that like to serpents stung piercing the weather none from his fellow starts but playing manly parts and like true english hearts stuck close together warwick in blood did wade oxford the foe invade and cruel slaughter made still as they ran up suffolk his axe did ply beaumont and willoughby bear them right doughtily ferrers and fanhope upon st crispin's day fought was this noble fray which fame did not delay to england to carry oh when shall englishmen with such acts fill a pen or england breed again such a king harry political economists and chilly historians and all long-headed calculating creatures generally may perhaps hint that invading france was no part of england's business and represented fruitless labor and bloodshed but this happily is not the poet's point of view he dreams with hotspur of basilisks of cannon culverin of prisoners ransom and of soldiers slain and all the currents of a heady fight he hears king harry's voice ring clearly above the cries and clamours of battle once more unto the breach dear friends once more or close the wall up with our english dead and to him the fierce scaling of harfleur in the field of agincourt seem not only glorious but righteous things that pure and generous desire to thrash the person opposed to you because he is opposed to you because he is not your side which mr sainsbury declares to be the real incentive of all good war songs hardly permits a too cautious analysis of motives fighting is not a strictly philanthropic pastime and its merits are not precisely the merits of church guilds and college settlements warlike saints are rare in the calendar notwithstanding the splendid example of michael of celestial armies prince and there is at present a shameless conspiracy on foot to defraud even st george of his hard-won glory and to melt him over in some modern crucible into a peaceful alexandrian bishop an arian bishop too by way of deepening the scandal we shall hear next that st denis was a calvinistic minister and st iago whom devout spanish eyes have seen mounted in the hottest of the fray was a friendly well-wisher of the moors 
but why sigh over fighting saints in a day when even fighting sinners have scant measure of praise moral courage is everything physical heroism is a small matter often trivial enough wrote that clever emotional sensitive german woman rahel varnhagen at the very time when a little physical heroism might have freed her conquered fatherland and this profession of faith has gone on increasing in popularity until we have even a lad like the young lawrence oliphant with hot blood surging in his veins gravely recording his displeasure because a parson with a crimean medal on his surplice preached a rousing battle sermon to the english soldiers who had no alternative but to fight my natural man confesses oliphant naively is intensely warlike which is just as low a passion as avarice or any other a curious moral perspective which needs no word of comment and sufficiently explains much that was to follow we are irresistibly reminded by such a verdict of shelley's swelling lines war is the statesman's game the priest's delight the lawyer's jest the hired assassin's trade lines which to borrow a witticism of mr oscar wilde's have all the vitality of error and will probably be quoted triumphantly by peace societies for many years to come in the meantime there is a remarkable and very significant tendency to praise all war songs war stories and war literature generally in proportion to the discomfort and horror they excite in proportion to their inartistic and unjustifiable realism i well remember when i was a little girl having a dismal french tale by erckmann chatrian called le conscrit given me by a kindly disposed but mistaken friend and the disgust with which i waded through those scenes of sordid bloodshed and misery untouched by any fire of enthusiasm any halo of romance the very first description of napoleon napoleon the idol of my youthful dreams as a fat pale man with a tuft of hair upon his forehead filled me with loathing for all that was to follow but i believe i finished the book it never occurred to me in those innocent days not to finish every book that i began and then i re-read in joyous haste all of sir walter scott's fighting novels waverley old mortality ivanhoe quentin durward and even the abbot which has one good battle to get the taste of that abominable story out of my mouth of late years however i have heard a great deal of french russian and occasionally even english literature commended for the very qualities which aroused my childish indignation no one has sung the praises of war more gallantly than mr rudyard kipling yet those grim verses called the grave of the hundred dead verses closely resembling the appalling specimens of truculency with which mr ruskin began and ended his brief poetical career have been singled out from their braver brethren for a special praise and offered as grim naked ugly truth to those who would know more of the poet's picturesque qualities but grim naked ugly truth can never be made a picturesque quality and it is not the particular business of a battle poem to emphasize the desirability of peace we all know the melancholy anti-climax of campbell's splendid song ye mariners of england when to three admirable verses the poet must needs add a fourth 
descriptive of the joys of harmony and of the eating and drinking which shall replace the perils of the sea i count it a lasting injury after having my blood fired with these surging lines where blake and mighty nelson fell your manly heart shall glow as ye sweep through the deep while the stormy winds do blow while the battle rages loud and long and the stormy winds do blow to be suddenly introduced to a scene of inglorious junketing and i am not surprised that campbell's peculiar inspiration which was born of war and of war only failed him the instant he deserted his theme such shocking lines as the meteor flag of england shall yet terrific burn while quite in harmony with the poet's ordinary achievements would have been simply impossible in those first three verses of ye mariners where he remains true to his one artistic impulse he strikes a different and a finer note when in the battle of the baltic he turns gravely away from feasting and jollity to remember the brave men who have died for england's glory let us think of them that sleep full many a fathom deep by thy wild and stormy steep elsinore to go back to mr rudyard kipling however from whom i have wandered far he is more in love with the dear delights of battle than with its dismal carnage and he wins an easy forgiveness for a few horrors by showing us much brave and hearty fighting who can forget the little gurkhas drawing a deep breath of contentment when at last they see the foe and gaping expectantly at their officers as terriers grin ere the stone is cast for them to fetch who can forget the joyous abandon with which mulvaney the disreputable and his four-and-twenty young ones fling themselves upon lungtung pen it is a good and wholesome thing for a man to be in sympathy with that primitive virtue courage to recognize it promptly and to do honor to it under any flag homer's heart is with the brave of either side observes mr lang with glaucus and sarpedon of lycia no less than with achilles and patroclus scott's heart is with surrey and dacre no less than with lennox and argyle with the english hosts charging like whirlwinds to the fray no less than with the scottish soldiers standing ringed and dauntless around their king theodore de bonville hot with shame over fallen france cheeks his bitterness to write some tender verses to the memory of a prussian boy found dead on the field with a bullet-pierced volume of pindar on his breast dumas that lover of all brave deeds cries out with noble enthusiasm that it was not enough to kill the highlanders at waterloo we had to push them down and the reverse of the medal has been shown to us by mr lang in the letter of an english officer who writes home that he would have given the rest of his life to have served with the french cavalry on that awful day sir francis doyle delights like an honest and stout-hearted briton to pay an equal tribute of praise in rather questionable verse to the private of the buffs poor reckless rude low-born untaught bewildered and alone who died for england's honor in a far-off land and to the indian prince merab khan who brought to bay swore proudly that he would perish to the last the lord of all that man can call his own and fell beneath the english bayonets at the door of his zenana this is the spirit by which brave men know one another the world over 
and which lying back of all healthy national prejudices unites in a human brotherhood those whom the nearness of death has taught to start at no shadows oh east is east and west is west and never the two shall meet till earth and sky stand presently at god's great judgment seat but there is neither east nor west border nor breed nor birth when two strong men stand face to face though they come from the ends of the earth here is mr kipling at his best and here too is a link somewhat simpler and readier to hand than that much desired bond of cultivation which mr oscar wilde assures us will one day knit the world together the time when germany will no longer hate france because the prose of france is perfect seems still as far off as it is fair the day when intellectual criticism will bind europe together dawns only in the dreamland of desire mr wilde makes himself merry at the expense of peace societies so dear to the sentimentalists and proposals for unarmed international arbitration so popular among those who have never read history but criticism the mediator of the future will annihilate race prejudices by insisting upon the unity of the human mind in the variety of its forms if we are tempted to make war upon another nation we shall remember that we are seeking to destroy an element of our own culture and possibly its most important element this restraining impulse will allow us to fight only red indians and fijians and bushmen from whom no grace of culture is to be gleaned and it may prove a strong inducement to some disturbed countries like ireland and russia to advance a little further along the paths of sweetness and light meanwhile the world which rolls so easily in old and well-worn ways will probably remember that power is measured by resistance and will go on arguing stolidly in platoons all healthy men like fighting and like the sense of danger all brave women like to hear of their fighting and of their facing danger says mr ruskin who has taken upon himself the defence of war in his own irresistibly unconvincing manner others indeed have delighted in it from a purely artistic standpoint or as a powerful stimulus to fancy mr saintsbury exults more than most critics in battle poems and in those half inarticulate songs that set the blood coursing sir francis doyle whose simple manly soul never wearied of such themes had no ambition to outgrow the first hearty sympathies of his boyhood i knew the battle in marmion by heart almost before i could read he writes in his reminiscences and i cannot raise out i do not wish to raise out of my soul all that filled and coloured in years gone by mr frode who is as easily seduced by the picturesqueness of a sea-fight as was canon kingsley appears to believe in all seriousness that the british privateers who went plundering in the spanish main were inspired by a pure love for england and a zeal for the protestant faith he can say truly with the little boy of adventurous humour there is something that suits my mind to a t in the thought of a regular pirate king mr lang's love of all warlike literature is too well known to need comment as a child he confesses he pored over the fightiness parts of the bible when sunday deprived him of less hallowed reading as a boy he devoted to sir walter scott the precious hours which were presumably sacred to the shrine of latin grammar 
as a man he lures us with glowing words from the consideration of political problems or of our own complicated spiritual machinery to follow the fortunes of the brave fierce men who fought in the lonely north or of the heroes who went forth in gilded armor to win glory or to give it before the walls of troy in these days when many people find it easier to read the ring in the book than the iliad mr lang makes a strong plea in behalf of that literature which has come down to us out of the past to stand for evermore unrivalled and alone stirring the hearts of all generations until human nature shall be warped from simple and natural lines with the bible and shakespeare he says the homeric poems are the best training for life there is no good quality that they lack manliness courage reverence for old age and for the hospitable hearth justice piety pity a brave attitude towards life and death all are conspicuous in homer it might be well perhaps to add to this long list one more incomparable virtue an instinctive and illogical delight in living amid shipwrecks and battles amid long wanderings and hurtling spears amid sharp dangers and sorrows bitter to bear homer teaches us and teaches us in right joyful fashion the beauty and value of an existence which we profess nowadays to find a little burdensome on our hands all these things have the lovers of war said to us and in all these ways have they striven to fire our hearts but mr ruskin is not content to regard any matter from a purely artistic standpoint or to judge it on natural and congenital lines he must endorse it ethically or condemn accordingly it is not enough for him as it would be for any other man to claim that no great art ever yet rose on earth but among a nation of soldiers he feels it necessary to ask himself some searching and embarrassing questions about fighting for its own sake and as a grand pastime questions which he naturally finds extremely difficult to answer it is not enough for him to say with equal truth and justice that if brave death in a red coat be no better than brave life in a black one it is at least every bit as good he must needs wax serious and commit himself to this strong and doubtful statement assume the knight merely to have ridden out occasionally to fight his neighbor for exercise assume him even a soldier of fortune and to have gained his bread and filled his purse at the sword's point still i feel as if it were somehow grander and worthier in him to have made his bread by sword-play than any other play i had rather he had made it by thrusting than by batting much more than by betting much rather that he should ride war-horses than back race-horses and i say it sternly and deliberately much rather would i have him slay his neighbor than cheat him perhaps in deciding a point as delicate as this it would not be altogether amiss to consult the subject acted upon in other words the neighbor who whatever may be his prejudice against dishonest handling might probably prefer it to the last irredeemable disaster in this commercial age we get tolerably accustomed to being cheated like the skinned eel we are used to it but there is an old rhyme which tells us plainly that a broken neck is beyond all help of healing 
now it is best when we treat a theme as many-sided as war to abandon modern inquisitorial methods and confine ourselves to that good old-fashioned simplicity which was content to take short obvious views of life it is best to leave ethics alone and write as lightly as we may the finest poems of battle and of camp have been written in this unencumbered spirit as for example that lovely little snatch of song from rokeby a weary lot is thine fair maid a weary lot is thine to pull the thorn thy brow to braid and press the rue for wine a lightsome eye a soldier's mane a feather of the blue a doublet of the lincoln green no more of me you knew my love no more of me you knew and this other far less familiar which i quote from lockhart's spanish ballads and which is fitly called the wandering night song my ornaments are arms my pastime is in war my bed is cold upon the wold my lamp yon star my journeyings are long my slumbers short and broken from hill to hill i wander still kissing thy token i ride from land to land i sail from sea to sea some day more kind i fate may find some night kiss thee now apart from the charming felicity of these lines we cannot but be struck with their singleness of conception and purpose the wandering knight is well nigh as disencumbered of mental as of material luggage he rides as free from our tangled perplexity of introspection as from our irksome contrivances for comfort it is not that he is particularly guileless or ignorant one does not journey far over the world without learning the world's ways and the ways of the men who dwell upon her but the knowledge of things looked at from the outside is never the knowledge that wears one's soul away and the travelling companion that lord byron found so ennuyant the blight of life the demon thought forms no part of the wandering knight's equipment as i read this little fugitive song which has drifted down into an alien age i feel an envious liking for those days when the tumult of existence made its triumph when action fanned the embers of joy and when people were too busy with each hour of life as it came to question the usefulness or desirability of the whole there is one more point to consider mr saintsbury appears to think it strange that battles when they occur and especially when they chance to be victories should not immediately inspire good war songs but this is seldom or never the case the charge of the light brigade being an honourable exception to the rule drayton's heroic ballad was written nearly two hundred years after the battle of agincourt flodden is a tale of defeat and campbell whose songs are so intoxicatingly warlike belonged i am sorry to say to the peace at all price party the fact that a battle fought five hundred years ago is just as inspiring to the poet as a battle fought yesterday and a brave deed the memory of which comes down to us through centuries stirs our hearts as profoundly as though we witnessed it in our own time sarpedon leaping lightly from his chariot to dare an unequal combat the wounded knight schoenberg dragging himself painfully from amid the dead and dying to offer his silver shield to his defenceless emperor 
the twenty kinsmen of the noble family of trautsmansdorf who fell under frederick of austria in the single battle of muldorf the english lad young anstruter who carried the queen's colours of the royal welsh at the storming of sebastopol and who swift-footed as a schoolboy was the first to gain the great redoubt and stood there one happy moment holding his flagstaff and breathing hard before he was shot dead these are the pictures whose value distance can never lessen and whose colours time can never dim these are the deeds that belong to all ages and to all nations a heritage for every man who walks this troubled earth all this the gods have fashioned and have woven the skein of death for men that there might be a song in the ears even of the folk of after time end of section three